he committed a, a sodomy and robbery at gunpoint. And then he takes off down the street. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Give me a wallet and take that and pull down your pants. Yeah. Something Combin- like that, right? Combination. Now I'm talking to him, and, and I, I start getting all these details. And I started to tell him that, you know, there's a good him and a bad him. Oh, yeah. There's the good him here and the bad him here. And the good him here. Like Animal House. In a sense. Remember when he yeah, was yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> he goes like this, and he touches me, and he says, you know what? I was going to kill her when I was done. But I didn't. And I, I and you see oh, me almost take like a double take. Yeah. And I'm like, that's right. Absolutely. You didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the jury's going to hear that. And they're going to like you. All right, man. We are here. We're doing it. We're live. It's uh, me, Mark DeMeo, your host, along with my co-host, uh, Bill Cannon for Police Off the Cuff. How are you, Bill? I'm doing great, man. I'm really happy to be here, as, as always. Yeah? How's your hip? It's getting better every week. You know, I'm six weeks after surgery. Uh-huh. I'm not jumping or playing volleyball, but I'm walking a little better. It's not as painful, at least. You know, you got a new car, too, huh? Yeah, I got a 2019 Acura RDX, all from what I make doing comedy. Uh-huh. So you le- so you're <laughs> leasing it. You're le- I read over it all month. <laughs> you're leasing it with $20,000 down, right? Yeah, I'm leasing it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. This is uh, this has been a pretty prosperous week uh, for me. I did a bunch of uh, really good shows. We got a um, got a bunch of new listeners. Uh, we did a show Friday night. It was like in New Jersey. It was probably like four hundred people. Three hundred and eighty of them were guys. And yeah, it looks out of like those, New Jersey loves us, man. Yeah, two hundred at least. Clifton, at least two hundred fifty cops there. Yeah, so it was great. Wow. We definitely uh, got a bunch of new listeners from that. Um, so let's start, man. We have a very exciting guest oh, here. Oh, you forgot. I got to promote something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You mentioned that. Didn't yeah, you say I, that before yeah, we started? I, I haven't been doing as many shows, obviously, because of uh, my hip surgery. So I'm back We got out. cooking. I'm back out there. Saturday night, I'm at the Austin Elks Club with like six or seven other comics. We actually have another uh, member of the service. Detective Michelle Durante, who was from Narcotics. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's going to be on the show. Great. So we got like a great show at the Austin Elks Club, 118 Croton Avenue at 8 o'clock. I sent it out all over Police Off the Cuff saying, meet Bill Cannon, the co-host of Police uh-huh. Off the Cuff. Uh-huh. Probably if, if, if you were there, there would be busloads, academy busloads of people probably from Creed. Well, we're going to be doing be something. I think, uh, then we talk about putting together yeah, something, something in June. something in September. No, September. Oh, September. September. Yeah, September. Yeah. We're going to do all a right. live podcast and a comedy show at Lucy's in Pleasantville. Lucy's. Yep. That's, That's going to be, be great. Amazing. We're going to have all our guests here and hopefully... Our guest today will be one of those guests joining us uh, at that September date where we're going to do the live podcast and a comedy show to follow. Um, his name was Ed, uh, Edward Taki, right? Yes, that's correct. And uh, you are uh, a 22-year veteran of the NYPD? Yes. And then you worked for the DA squad following that? hmm A DNA expert? Well, I spent a lot of time on those cases. Uh, uh, has a beautiful family? Yes, I do. And is a Met fan? I am. I did. You know, I did my research, man. I went on That's Facebook. Right, man. I'm so happy that you're doing your I went research. on Facebook, man. Sometimes you come in here and I know shit about it. Bullshit. Every single person we've had in here has a book. At least I didn't have to read a book for you. Thank you. I he's do got, my research. What the fuck? He's got a book of cases. I Googled though. him. He's got nothing there. Well, you're on LinkedIn. And then I went on Facebook and I found you and I started going through your page. And like I said, you have a beautiful family. He's a Med fan. And that's all I need to know. But he worked, he worked in an elite unit, Manhattan Special hey, we'll get Victims, to it, right? Hey, we'll get to it. First, okay. where are you from? Uh, from Long Island. Long Island. What part of Long Island? Garden City. Garden City, nice. That's, that's, that's a very... Big uh, bucks. Big bucks. Your family had big bucks? Uh, no, we were originals. Oh, yeah? You're Italian, <laughs> though, right? I am. 
But I saw some, uh, you, you celebrated Passover too? I have a girlfriend who's uh, Israeli. Okay, all right, interesting. Yeah, they're hot, huh? Yeah, she is. I like Israelis the way they are talk. Hot, man. Yeah, they talk with that accent. Fucking I love that accent. <laughs> They'll kill you in a second, man. Yeah. Don't fuck they around. There's a lot of truth draw. to that. They know how to use that AR-15. <laughs> kill you one second, man. I watched this whole documentary on uh, <laughs> if you make that list. Mm-hmm. What is it, the Mossad? Oh yeah, you know they, got a, they got a list. They got a, if you're they deem you're a terrorist and they put you on that list. There's no trial. There's no catching you and and arresting you first. No lawyer. No, you make that list, you're dead. <laughs> and they had this. Uh, the coolest scene was um, they had this girl. Uh, she pretended uh, that she was uh, she worked in a hotel as a maid. And the guy that they wanted was a terrorist. Uh, she went into his room. She f- she found his cell phone. And the next day when she came back to clean his room, she brought the same exact cell phone, except that one that one was a bomb. Mm-hmm. So then when he, they called him, he went to answer it. He goes on the porch with his coffee. Boom! His whole fucking head blows off. It was great. Give him a taste of his own medicine, you know. <laughs> so I'm just saying, be careful, man. <laughs> Don't yeah, cheat on her. Oh, no chance. Off, man. She knows how to do that cell phone trick. Right? <laughs> so you grew up in Long Island, Garden City. That's a nice place. You got to have some loot to, to live out there. What'd your folks do? Uh, just general work. Nothing yeah. specific. All right. So uh, what, what, what age did you become a police officer? Uh, I was... Let's see, 84 I came on, which was 84, a, all right. long time ago. Yeah, I was shit. 23. But you were 23 when you came on. That's good. That's a good age. Yeah, it was, I was still young. And uh, it was a good time to come on. Did you go to college first? I did. Binghamton. Oh, you did? My son's graduating from Binghamton uh, Saturday. Oh, no, May, May 18th, yeah. Very good. Binghamton is now the number one SUNY in, in New York State. I think it was then also. Was yeah, yeah. It's so like considered like uh, the Ivy League school of Sunnis. I went to Buff State. That was like 40th or something like that. Uh-huh. Is that really a thing? <laughs> Buff State? Buffalo State College. Yeah. Oh, okay. I went to Nassau College, transferred to Buff State. That was my going away to school. So you did two years in a community college? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's two years, but it took me three or four to do it. Yeah, I did five years. <laughs> I did five years in a two-year college, and I didn't graduate. <laughs> I had to go back. Oh, Yeah. The police department called me, and uh, I turned them down a couple of times. You were in the middle of school? And I was in the middle of school. and uh, Having said, a blast, probably, you're, right? You're either in or you're out. I was having a good time. And it takes you about a year to get the weed out of your system, too. Were you in a no. frat? <laughs> were you in a frat? No, I wasn't. Oh, okay. My Frats weren't that, weren't that big there. Yeah, my son's in a good frat, man. Yeah. My middle son went to Alabama. And he oh, yeah? Frat. Yeah? I'm Loved sure he it. had fun, too, right? He did. Yeah. It sucks it's only four years, but yeah. <laughs> I feel bad that he's getting out. So you, had a, you, a you keep going back and forth between trying to figure out whether you're going to go into the police department or finish up school. Well, it, they, they told me, uh, you know, this is the third chance we're offering you and you're either in or out. Mm-hmm. And I said I was in. All right, cool. Yeah. But I went back and I finished. Oh, that was good. That was good. That helped you through your career, right? Not uh, that much. No. Maybe if you, if you make I mean, I, I was happy to have the degree. And I think if you change the rules when uh, to make sergeant, you had to have uh, a bachelor's degree after really? years after you know. I got promoted in uh, 1989 to sergeant, and it wasn't the case then. But mm-hmm. then they changed the rules. Yeah, I don't understand why they changed the rules. So yeah. You don't need what do, what do you need college for to I do know. police work? It's so stupid. There's some guys. If you want a maturity age, make the make the age to go on 25. So right. this way, if you can make it to 25 and you didn't get arrested for a heinous crime, you're probably okay. <laughs> you're probably a decent citizen. But to go to college and you know or come on a job at 20, I don't know. I don't, I don't see what the college does for you. Yeah. It's six months of law. You know, right, right, do you know right. anything about the law? No, really. You just go by what the other people are telling you. <laughs> right? Right. 
So, uh, so what, where'd you end up? You got on in 94. What, what, what command did you go 84. to? 84, I meant. Yeah, I started in the Lower East Side. Uh, started with housing. Uh, they were all junkies then there. It was uh, the closest heroin Alpha, capital of the world. PSA Alphabet what? City. PSA 4. PSA Alphabet 4. City. Mm-hmm. Did you that see was, that movie? Remember the movie Alphabet City? I, I didn't see it. That oh, was yeah. during that was Operation Pressure Point, right? Yes, yeah. that's correct. For those our listeners, um, New York City used to have three separate police departments, housing, transit, and NYPD. And if you took the, we all took the same test, but if you got put on housing or transit, you usually uh, went up to the George Washington Bridge and were pondering whether you should jump <laughs> or not, because no one wanted to be housing or transit. Isn't that true? Uh, well, well, in the I beginning, know, in, in, in my heart, in, in, I'm, in no, the housing, but right. nobody, nobody but took the test to, uh, to go on housing or yeah, transit. No, you right. took it, and I remember it was still uh, that was still the th- case when I got on. Right, and you went up, and, and you told your name, and you, and you gave me a tax number, and they told you where you were going to end up. And if you got a housing or or, or transit. Uh, it wasn't you. You felt horrible. You yeah, felt you like did. you fucked. Like you, you lost. The they lotto. had the patch on the left side of their uniform housing. But right. in reality, after these guys wound up coming on the job, after everybody loved combined, it. they, they were all like, loved housing. Yeah, yeah. they were like, "Fuck, man, this but sucks." But no one loved transit. Transit, you had that extra thing of steel dust in your lungs. Mm-hmm. Every EDP, which stands for our listeners, emotionally disturbed person was riding the trains all night long and transit cops had to deal with these people, right? And they were by themselves. And a lot the of guys didn't uh, work. Right, they always complaining about the radios. Yeah, yeah there was no, you were on your own, basically. Yeah. I think a lot of guys got used to working in transit and wound up liking it. John DeResta, uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a comic. I don't know if you remember yeah. him, but he, yeah, he's out in LA. He's hilarious. And he, has a, he had a one-man show and it was about... It was about his time on the job, working in transit. You ride, we hide. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was oh, great. You ride, we hide, because it's it too great. dangerous down there. It was a, it was a great, great one-man show. And uh, But you got housing. I did. Yeah, I would have hated housing, man. I hate fucking verticals suck. Uh, they weren't great. The uh, elevator's filled with piss. Yeah, what, let me true. ask you, now that you're in, true. we got a housing expert here, what is that? I always think it's they put the dogs in there and press one, dogs piss in the elevator and come back up. What, what was it? I, I just think you had people that were uh, from the immediate area. Housing tended to be in the higher crime neighborhoods and... I really didn't put it on the residents. I put I'm it talking on, about the people pissing in the elevator. Yeah, I'm talking about the people there. pissing they in the elevator. Oh, yeah? I don't, I don't the, think it was yeah. people that were So it wasn't the residents. It was the elevator. people camping out in the lobby right. dealing drugs. Right. Coming in through right. the building, right. hanging out in the building, sleeping in the building. And rather than go in the stairwell, they decided they're going to go in the elevator. The stairwells were right. too dangerous even for perps. <laughs> <laughs> did you really do the verticals? <laughs> we did. I mean, really? Just no, we really, really did. I would have never done. I would have done I, that. Maybe I can when remember. I was a rookie. Explain to our listeners what a vertical is. Right. Means you got to go. What you tell us? We walk up the stairs. Well, well no, stairs. walk up, walk down. We walk up. I thought we'd you took up, the elevator to the down. top and walked down. We we had one guy. You who guys in housing weren't too smart. Train you, <laughs> and uh, he says you got to walk up and, and walk back down. And we did a lot of times. You wow. must have been. In I mean, sometimes we go up. Well, better shape than I am now. No, I'm saying that's a good. That's a good exercise. It is a good exercise. But uh, there were times when you'd walk up into a group and you'd be standing there and you're in uniform and they don't even know you're there. It's so dark. Yeah, well, it's they, dark, they purposely quiet. knock the lights out, right? Yes. Really? Yeah. That's got to be scary. Yeah, well, it wasn't yeah. bad. Housing. And then you basically, no you're confined to that. The beauty of being a, a city cop was that you had the whole city to explore. And okay, maybe you're confined to your precinct, but... If you wanted to go grab some food from 
a couple blocks over, you could. You know what I'm saying? Well, and then there was always didn't have a harbor unit either. No, housing. <laughs> right, right. No. <clears throat> Although you, you have to think of it this way: uh, if you're working in the ninth precinct or you're working in the seventh precinct, mm-hmm. you're still relatively combined. I mean, you have sector cars. You're, you're confined in your sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go for a meal. You'll you'll go somewhere in your precinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, PSA four, for example, it covered the first, the fifth, the seventh, the oh, ninth, so you the thirteenth, the tenth. Yeah, uh, you had quite a range of uh, places that you could expand into. If you got, a, if you were in one, um, let's say you were. In I don't know which one covers uh, like Astoria, but I know those projects. Let's say you were in Ravenswood, and then something happens in uh, in the Woodside projects. You would leave Ravenswood and go to Woodside projects to handle that. I, I never worked in Queens. Uh, I was a Manhattan guy. Like, it's like a two, two mile difference. Granted, uh, there's a bigger difference, and but there was a lot of coordination between uh, the NYPD and housing, mm-hmm. and uh, we backed them up. They backed us up. Uh, we handled our runs. They handled their own. But uh, if there was any need for any assistance, there was, there was a lot of cross coverage. Right. How long were you a housing cop for before? Um, well, I started in '84, the and then the merge. So that was like '92, the merge, right? '95, I think. Yeah, it was '95. Okay. Yeah, it was May '95. So you were in housing that, that whole time. <clears throat> I went into the narcotics in housing, mm-hmm. and then I worked in a, a team with a ATF. Wow. For a year, which was which was uh, interesting. Yeah. And then uh, I went to the housing uh, detective squad, uh, which is considerably smaller. Mm-hmm. And we covered quite a bit of, I mean, we, we covered all the types of cases that uh, you carried in uh, NYPD. But our focus was, of course, you know, the housing the projects. Housing projects. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when the merge came, I had handled a few child cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chief of the child abuse bureau said, you know, uh, why don't you try to come to special victims? And mm-hmm. She made phone calls and. And, and then that's where I ended up going. That's a tough uh, investigative uh, crime with the child abuse, uh, sex crimes, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Were you in the child abuse unit or the sex I started off unit? in the child abuse team. Yeah. And uh, I, I worked with some really good uh, experienced detectives that had been there for a while. And as I said, I'd handled a couple of child abuse cases uh, in housing. And so the transition wasn't so bad. And... Uh, I ended up teaming up with a partner I had before in housing that had been working somewhere else. Uh, you know, Alan. Yeah, Alan Sandomir, sure. Mm-hmm. sure. And uh, we teamed up in a Manhattan Special Victim Squad and, and then went from there. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I eventually, in uh, I think it was 2002, I went to the Homicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And you guys worked on the same floor as us. And it was amazing to me the volume of cases you guys got and how efficiently you did that work because you couldn't if a if a case was a was a bomb you couldn't spend a lot of time on it you just couldn't do that yet someone I mean, we, we had a lot of cases uh we had a pretty good size office i think at our height we had 35 detectives wow. which is great uh i think we had four sergeants and a lieutenant and uh you know you were responsible for your own cases just with any other squad uh, but there was a lot of you know we had a team and you'd work with a team and help each other out if you ended up with a pattern or something that was really major, uh, other people would jump in. And, you know, I'll go into some of that. You what know, was that, 90, um, when he went into uh, the, uh, Special Victims Unit, what was that, 94, you said? 95. 95. 95. Mm-hmm. With, but by the 95, though, the DNA is like, you're using it a lot then, right? Well, the, at, in 95 with DNA cases, uh, a lot of times you had to request, like if you had a suspect, Mm-hmm. And you'd need to request for a DNA uh, profile to be developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they really weren't testing with a great volume. They didn't have the equipment. Uh, there were a lot of cases that were coming in. So, it, you know, if you recognize a possible pattern or something of that order. Let me ask you order. something just to stop you for one second. For the public, what does a single DNA case uh, uh, cost to send it to the lab and have it all? What does it, it cost? About? I, it, it was a, I, I don't have a figure for you. Uh, I know that it was considerable sum of money. $500, $1,000? Maybe $1,000. Yeah, you could see why they're not looking to test that often, right? But honestly, what, what really changed uh, DNA investigations for New York City was 9-11. Right, yeah. 9-11 yeah. uh, came along, uh, as we know, and changed you know, everyone's position. We all have our own stories on that. Sure. But uh, one of the things they, and I worked at the ME's office quite a bit at that point, uh, everyone was got scattered somewhere, and that was that was my spot. And what they did is they uh, they brought in a, a lot of equipment to address that. But then afterwards, uh, that equipment was then usable for uh, investigating sex crime cases, cold cases. Good, good. You know that's that's been in the news a lot, and uh, you can see I, I've been off the job for seven years. Mark's been off the job, I think, about five years. Mm-hmm. But you could see how the anti-police. Um, posture of, of the government, because just recently, the city council was saying they didn't like the way the NYPD collects DNA. That's none of their business. That's the criminal procedure law defines how you collect DNA. They didn't like the surreptitious collection of it. Yeah, I, I downloaded a video that I, um, mm-hmm. it was in the news this week. Yeah. And basically, they're talking about the collection um, that happens when, uh, you know, by offering um, your... Um, a soda or a cigarette, a soda, mm-hmm. a cigarette to your uh, to your suspect, right? And then leaving it there for them to discard it, and then you collect it. You know? Right. I mean, and, we, uh, like we did that. that. Yeah, they don't like that. You know? And they're fighting that right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fact that the, there's been people who've taken all the cigarette butts, put them in their pocket, and left because yeah. they're aware of it. Those, yeah. small, you know, right? But if you're if you're that dumb and you don't know, well, it's just like going through someone's garbage. The Supreme Court has said that garbage is not protected by the privacy. Like, you have no right to privacy for your garbage once you throw it yeah, out. Yeah, you throw so it you out. Go through it. You know, I, mean, I, I can remember us having suspects on patterns. Uh, remember we had the, uh, the Upper East Side. Aaron Key. Uh, well, Aaron Key is a great example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you remember the particulars on Aaron Key? Yeah, Aaron Key was a murderer and a rapist. And right. he was the first, like, serial killer in, like, probably New York State history that was taken down by DNA. Right? Mm-hmm. He... Originally, uh, they were looking at him, and he was in a cell, and they offered him a drink. Yeah, I remember that. And what he did is he reached out to the guy in the next cell and switched with him, which was pretty interesting. And yeah. do you switched remember what? The drinks? Which drinks. Oh, really? And then later on, do you remember uh, him heading south and to get into Florida. that a little bit? That yeah, was interesting, because sure, I went down sure. to Florida yep. on that case. Well, they tested all three cups, and they said one of these cups is the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they said, you know, there's three guys in the cell. It had to be him. And, and they, were, they were keeping a close eye on him. And what he did is he went over to, uh, and we can get into this, right? Over yeah, to, go ahead. Sure. Went over to Penn Station what, in Brooklyn. What was in, the origin of this story? Start from the beginning. Aaron Key was responsible for, I think, three homicides. Yeah of uh, young ladies that he sexually assaulted and then murdered, one of whom we set on fire. Yes, uh, Joe Hallis Castro. Mm-hmm. And then there were... This is in uh, up two, Manhattan? Two, three. In, okay. in Manhattan, all right. Yeah. And they, right actually, by Mount they Sinai Hospital. Him, they called him the shopping cart killer because he would take the girl after he murdered her, throw her in a shopping cart and take her to a housing project, which wasn't where he killed her, and dump her in a stairwell. Mm-hmm. 
That's one of the part wow. of his MO, yeah. And, and on, he, he had like a series of rapes, one of which came up later. And, you know, I rearrested him for it. Mm-hmm. And I thought we'd get into that. But what he did is he went over to a Penn Station over in Newark and then went to some guy and said, you know, here's my cell phone. Here's a cell phone that I have. It's good for 24 hours. Where are you going? The guy said he's going to Virginia. He says, make as many phone calls as you want. And then he got on a different bus and went down to Florida. Uh-huh. To, to, just to throw the police off. Throw the police yeah. off. But, I mean, it didn't work, obviously. Right, right. Uh, I ended up speaking with him down in Florida. And I ended up speaking to him after he was incarcerated uh, on a new case. And uh, actually, it's, he's, he was articulate. Uh, he was personable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remembered us talking. I went upstate because we had gotten a hit on a, on a very violent uh, rape case. I mean, he was a violent person that took place in the housing projects, mm-hmm. although I was in special victims at the time. And uh, he, we ended up chatting for quite a while. And, you know, he, he was pretty more forthcoming on my, on my case because at this point, I think he was serving 400 years. Yeah, 400 years. It didn't matter. Another 10. <laughs> no, and that's exactly, he took a plea to 10 to 20. Yeah. And uh, he said to me, he says, you know, Eddie, if I, I met you under different circumstances, I could see us going out for like a bite to eat or drink or something. Yeah. It's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, Aaron, the only way you're going to get out of here is if you go over that wall and die on the other side. Right. Falling. Right. And uh, we ended up re-arresting him. Uh, our boss, you know, uh, the boss of the U.S. Turn, uh, DA's office, it was DA's office in Manhattan, Robert Morgenthau, was a legend. Yes. Uh, said that, you know, even though he's doing 400 years, this is another victim and, and she has a right to, you know, say in court and whatnot. So we brought him down and uh, rearrested him. That's great. He took a plea, went back up, and that was it. Now, that was one of the first um, cases where they got, they linked the DNA together of the separate murders and the separate rapes, mm-hmm. right? That was one of the, was, and that, that was 1997, I think. It was. Yeah. See, I worked in the 2-3, but I just got there in 1997. Mm-hmm. So that case just, I wasn't, I hadn't really worked on it, but it just was coming to its conclusion mm-hmm. at that point. I just got there and I was, I was in robbery, so I didn't know a lot about this stuff. But you know what's fascinating, I think, for our listeners too, talk about um, like the DNA, what's called a cold hit. Tell the audience what you know, that it, is. It is. This is very interesting. To me, it's very interesting, obviously, because I, I did it for a living. But I, I think people will be interested. What happened was you have a series of sex crimes kits. Uh, they used to call them Vitulo kits. And when, when somebody is uh, sexually assaulted, they do a whole series of tests. Uh, they take a number of swabs. They do fingernail scrapings, which came up in that recent homicide, the jogger. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right? And That's, uh, you know, Just to stop for one second. Sure. That's why... That became like a highly political case and how people like are acting as if this guy's innocent. Yeah, his, her DNA was, his DNA was under her fingernails. Yes, the police planted it there. You know, it's, right, right. it it's, just it's, so annoys me that they're even that ignorant to say that. I, you know, I don't, I don't understand the whole thing. I don't understand why people have suddenly lost their rationale, right. you know, their thinking. And, and now they just, they, they look at the people and then they make a judgment. I think people used to hold it together, but there's a there's a hysteria that's going on right now, and you could all put it in all in one basket together. Um, the, the same people that are hyster- Trump hysteria, the same people that are against the police usually. Uh, they don't trust the police. 
Um, just uh, maybe they're consi- conspiracy theorists. I don't know, but the, they'll always be. Oh no, you could plant it. You could plant. You, no, right. you can't really DNA put the DNA on the yeah. on the fingernails. That's I carry uh, vials of DNA with me for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there used to be at least certain cases that at least genuinely everyone had a heart for yeah. children cases and and sex crimes cases, and and it just seems like they're you know. Nobody has any kind of heart for any kind of case. Well, mm-hmm. it seems like the the the, the criminal well, depends. With the criminal over the police. Yeah, it depends society. a lot where you fall politically nowadays. There's just some stories that you're going to because you have to pick that side. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. We've been I don't know whether it's been with with the the media lying to us constantly or or showing uh, you know pushing us in one direction that we don't know what to trust anymore. But that same sentiment is going towards uh, anything that has to do with law enforcement. And uh, I don't want to sway you from your case, but no, uh, no problem. let's let's go back to that. And then um, I want to ask you a question about video evidence. But let's okay. go. Let's, um, oh, so on the, on the DNA, you know, you'd have your sex crimes kit. And then, and of course, they're processing the crime scene, taking sheets, um, anything where that might have collected uh, semen or any kind of bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd still also do, you know, you know, latent prints, you know, processing your whole crime. Uh, also, latent prints and DNA offer the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. touching a credit card and leaving your fingerprint, but also leaving your DNA on the on the credit card, which came up in a, in a case at a time right. crossing my mind. And, and then it gets, you know, hopefully the kit gets tested, and we can get into that. You know, so many kits weren't tested, and so many kits aren't tested outside of New York. Uh, you hear of jurisdictions with thousands of kids that are waiting to be tested. in a warehouse shelf, and right. some, there's a victim attached to that case. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just if I could stop for one second. I remember there was a case in Greenwich Village. Two girls were raped by this guy, and it stayed open for 22 years. Was that your case? And they, the DNA was finally tested, and he was sitting in prison. And they went up to him, and he got nailed for that case that sat on a shelf for 22 years. I, I, I had a case where we had two victims. Uh, and again, in Greenwich Village, um, really interesting case. Uh, uh, he had forced his way in when one of the doors, one of the, uh, they were housemates. Mm-hmm. And he had forced his way into the apartment in Greenwich Village. Um, big guy, stocky guy, uh, not, not afraid to use force. Uh, had subdued both females, tied them up, and then raped both of them as they watched each other. And then left. Um, we ended up finally, you know, those kits got tested and, uh, when you say finally, how long, how long was it? You know, I, I remember the case in detail. I, I know it was, we're talking about a significant amount of time. It was time. significant it, it was years. DNA collected. It was stored. It was stored. Where Bill said in that warehouse, mm-hmm. wherever, wherever that was. And then at some point they were tested. Is that because their number came up to be t- tested or that's because they discovered some new evidence and they pulled it out? I, I think at this point, what we had started to do uh, after 9-11 is we started looking at, we had a statute of limitations at that time. And, and time was starting, as we say, we're running out on cases. So we were quickly, you know, going through literally every case. My partner and I were just spending crazy amounts of hours going through cases and then identifying cases. Uh, and we worked with, you know, Martha Bashford and Melissa Moore mm-hmm. just in the DA's sure. office. And uh, we started identifying cases that should be tested and trying to beat that clock mm-hmm. and, and obtain a profile. But what they did was, which was brilliant, uh, was they in, indicted the DNA. 
because they couldn't indict the person. They didn't know who the person right. was. So they mm-hmm. indicted. And I thought mm-hmm. that was brilliant. Yeah, that is brilliant. This is a different it's case than that. Because in this case, we did get a statement. Yeah. I, this is a bit of a storyline to this. Uh, but in a lot of cases, we were running up where we were right to the window. I mean, within days of it expiring. Right. You're talking about past rapes and homicides, or are you talking about people that perished in 9-11? No, I'm talking about past rapes. Okay. So and the homicides. the limitation for rapes is five years, right? It's 10 years with extenuating circumstances having DNA. Okay, homicide has no statute of limitations. You right. can get arrested for that when you're 95 years old right. waiting to die, and they can put the cuffs on you. you and, and you hear about cases yeah. like that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, well, at the time, you know, we're, we're dealing with a statute of limitation. And, and they were. They were... We were working up the cases, and, and they would get a, a cold hit. We'd get a, a profile, but nobody attached to it, no name. But it was a solid case. And what we do is we go out and we try to find the victim, rebuild the case, uh, see if the victim was still willing to come forward and testify. Mm-hmm. And we put, and Martha and Melissa would put these cases before the grand jury and indict the profile. So the clock stopped. Mm-hmm. So if this guy gets isn't that, nabbed, isn't that brilliant? Ten yeah. years, twenty years, like you can still get him. Yeah, I think so too. Well, you know, I, one thing I just want—I think it's so interesting—and even to me, and also to Mark. Again, we were cops. Is tell me, tell me what happens when you got a cold hit and you go up to Attica or Kaksaki or what, any of these state prisons and you're going to interview the guy who is identified in that rape. I think this is like fascinating. It, it is. It's very interesting. I mean, especially when you have someone, we, I can remember one guy in particular who was, who was slated to leave oh. and, and he, he's upstate. That's beautiful. He, he's, he's doing time at a, at a facility and he's got a date to get out and, and he has, and his date is literally coming up Cuomo within would days. Still let him get out, I think. <laughs> He's, he's, let's just, he's probably very excited about that, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then so you come up, we, the Grim we, Reaper. Hello. <laughs> we, we, we're, here we are, and, and he has no expectation that somebody's coming up to visit him. And, and we sit down with him, and we introduce ourselves as detectives from New York. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk Describe to him. Describe his face, how it changes when you tell him you're from Manhattan well, Special Victims. Initially, no, no, no. You we don't. don't. don't we identify ourselves as detectives. You use car salesman from uh, Acura. Yeah, no, he's well, getting no. out, so he's probably going to get we're, an RDX. We're, like we're just NYPD detectives. Here we are. <laughs> okay. Uh, we want to talk to you about, you know, some case. Uh, your name came up in the case. Uh, and, you know, and immediately they want to know what is this about, what is it about. Right. It'll come up. It'll come up during the discussion, I guarantee you. So you're methodically prodding along. Yeah, but, I mean, the first thing is, is, you know, we want to Mirandize, get that out of the way. Yes. Uh, Get that sheet signed. Mirandize is what you see on TV. Every uh, law and order detective says it on the scene, which is actually nauseating. I agree. You have the right to remain. No detective ever does that, but TV loves that shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. I see them on TV and, and they're pulling up and all of a sudden he's taking out Miranda. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? Right, right. So he's going to sit in the car and for the next 30 minutes before you get him sitting down, he's going to be thinking, hmm. What should I do? What should I do? Yeah, it's a like, stupid scene they add. Also, stupid. too, is that when they uh, when they have the uh, the uniform cop read the Miranda. Yeah, yeah, that right. never happens. No, fuck you just cops. fucked Don't up a whole case. Right. You right. Just, if you read Miranda, you fucked us up. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it'll happen once in a while with a, with a rookie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who doesn't know any better? Who's watched too much TV? Watched Law and Order. The wasn't night paying attention in the academy. That's like the first thing they tell you in the academy. Don't Whatever do you do, don't read anybody the Mirandas. Leave that for the detectives. Right. But I mean, uh, so you're upstate. You're talking to this guy. But you know, on that, just just to finish off that, I, I I've sat there once in a while. You sit with a detective, and they they read the guy's rights, and he he waves his rights, and the detective leaves it there. 
He leaves it out. He leaves the Miranda there. He forgets. Yeah, yeah. And so every once in a while, the guy's looking at you and he's talking and all of a sudden you see him keep glancing down at that and you're like, oh God, why did he leave that paper out? Yeah. No, he signed it. Because it's very file subtle it. to get tell us, away. Right? Tell us a little bit yeah. about this guy's face. What happens? Yeah. Well, you and, and initially they're all curious and, and, you know, you're telling them, look, I need to get some background information. Mm-hmm. And especially on cold cases, background information is critical. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you start initially... They're like, okay, yeah, I lived here. I had a case where the, where the guy commits, he, he literally breaks the woman's neck. Uh, he goes to sexually assault her. She decides this isn't going to happen. And he literally breaks her neck and throws her out on the highway in Manhattan. Wow. Uh, and, but she, she had kind of like a troubled past at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, I wanted to make sure that we built him into that. That it, she, he couldn't argue that, you know, this is just, you know, I was just a friend. And, and who you're looking for for this is uh, somebody uh, other than me. Mm-hmm. And so I started building him into, you know, knowledge of the area and, and his events and stuff. And, you know, even what kind of car did you drive? And, you know, where were you living? And what were you doing for a living? And how did you get around? I had a green car and this was the car. I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, started building him. And initially, they're still they're as curious as, they, as you are. Right. And they're willing to, you know, start talking and Give talking. Give you so much. Until, and right, yeah. because right now this is all information that, as far as they're concerned, isn't hurting me. Sure. It's yeah, like I'm cooperating. You, I'm working with you. But you're sitting in the hot seat. And um, the, the way I can describe this best is if, uh, if you ever did something bad to uh, somebody that you were dating. And now they have evidence. But you did so many fucked up things that you don't even really, like, no, the was. doors are closing behind. Okay, it can't be that one. It can't be that one. It can't be, oh, shit. And you feel it coming. Right. So as you're going more and more into details, they know all the fucked up things that they did. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to, the, the one that they had a feeling of suspicion. And also, too, you must be getting really, really scared because it's your worst nightmare. You've had this dream over and over, this nightmare you've had probably over and over again, that right. the cops are going to show up right before you get out and they're going to hit you with this. It, it, it's true. Uh, but, you, you know, again, I think once you get through the background, you know, yeah. you start going into a different phase. And the, and the different phase is trying to provide them, not with a legal defense, but kind of an as you start questioning on things, of what's going to be acceptable to them to grab onto. Sure. And, you know, I, it reminds me of a guy, I, I, we, and it wasn't in prison. In this case, uh, he was down in Virginia. And I was tracking him and tracking him. And uh, I was talking to his family. I mean, he knew we were, we were looking for him. And, and I, I was getting information on him. And when I found out, you know, he was a sex offender. Uh, he had been working. He'd been doing some construction work, contracting work and stuff. I was connected to some church. In New York. In New York. Connected to some church down on the Lower East Side. And, uh, and then what happens is, you know, some things went wrong for him. He was living too close to school and they told me he had to move. Oh, wow. And he was living with a girl and, and she wasn't part of the whole new program. And things well, started. She wasn't expect, uh, accepting of the fact that he was uh, a, a, rehabil- sex offender, a rehabilitated a re- sexual offender. Is there right. such a thing as a rehabilitated sex offender? Well, you know, it has the highest recidivist rate of any crime. Right. So there's no such thing. And, and, and so when you see patterns or when you grab somebody, you're like, okay, I wonder how many more cases we're going to get on this guy. Right, right. 
Uh, but in this case, the guy the guy takes well, off down. When you start putting the hammer down on this guy, though, mm-hmm. you, you've already you've done the preliminary. You can see his face. He's he's curious about what. When do you start moving in for the kill and actually start saying, "Were you in the city on this date?" And when you how about when you show the picture of the of the victim? Right. That's I mean, when their face usually goes. <laughs> usually, you know, at that at that point, it, it's so much finessing going on. Right. And and you're you're working them into it. it it's like with like a, like I said with this guy, you know, I started talking to him, and he, and what happened was he was in Chelsea. He committed a, a sodomy and robbery at gunpoint, and then he takes off down. To wait the a minute. Wait. <laughs> oh, sorry, sodomy. And then was it that? a robbery? Uh, or <laughs> so what he, give me a wallet and take that and pull down your pants. Yeah. <laughs> Something Combin- like that, right? Combination. All right. Right. Well, the sex crime probably happened before the robbery. Yeah, I, I would imagine, I would imagine yeah. also. Yeah. And, but now I'm talking to him, and, and I, I start getting all these details and background from But then having have some knowledge of you know, what his story is about, I started to tell him that you know, there's a good him and a bad him. Oh, yeah. There's the good him here and the bad him here. And the good him here— Like Animal House. In a sense. Remember when he yeah, was yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> fuck her, fuck her brains out. Leave her alone. No, fuck her, fuck her brains out. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's the same thing. You start, you, as a detective, you start thinking, all right, how am I going to go about this? And I'm like, mm-hmm. look, this guy kind of was on the straight and narrow. So I'm like, you really didn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, you, were, you were moving in the right direction. You were working. You, were, you had a girlfriend. You had all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, they start taking your world apart, right? And, and, and it's a struggle with you. Between the good and the bad, I really didn't think you wanted to go as far as you did. And I'm talking to him. And, and, and by the way, this whole thing's on video. Wow, that's great. And, I, and we're in Virginia, and I'm, I'm talking to him. And he's and I'm expecting him to say, you know, all right, you know, I, I did what I did, but it, it just I didn't like go that much further or whatever. Sure. And he says, you know, something. He goes like this, and he touches me, and he says, you know what? I was going to kill her when I was done. But I didn't, and I, I and you see me almost take like a double take, yeah. and I'm like, that's right, absolutely, you didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the jury's gonna hear that; and they're gonna like you. You got cold. I mean, you got cold. You know, did you get cold? And, Your and body got cold. It just kind of like you, you took like a blink, and then you adjusted quickly. You know, because you get you get the tunnel vision too, because you got what you wanted, and it, it's it's no, like but, almost like um, for me, it used to be. The, like the sound, all the sound went off in the room, and I, I just, I just like, like I got it, I got it. He said, but it. when he someone said it. tells you something that outrageous, mm-hmm. as a detective, you can't react. No, you can't. No, react. you got to hold. It's you the best act, acting you'll right. ever do. You got to act like okay. You can take a hundred yeah, acting classes right. and do it all, but when you're sitting there and somebody just to- confessed to you, because that's one of the hardest things for me that that wasn't a confession. I could smooch the shit out of anybody. Mm-hmm. Bullshit, talk about anything for it. But then it was always nice to have somebody come in there and, and, you know, ask the serious questions because the truth is, this, you know, if you get the answers you want, this person's going to go away. And if you have any, if you're soft, you, know, you got to be hard because if you're soft, you, you're, you're going to f- flake around the questions. You're not going to ask the questions exactly the way you should. Right. And you could lose it, lose the fish on the bait. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's not even the line of questions. Sometimes, like, there was the guy, we called him the Midtown Rapist. Well, before you go to okay. the Midtown Rapist, I want to just ask you something about this DNA. Okay. When you go up there to visit him at the prison or you go to Tennessee, mm-hmm. you got the DNA and you got it from the scene. So what you want to do uh, uh, to get a confession out of him is you want to put a nice bow on the case. But the reality is he's getting charged with this, with this thing because his DNA showed up there, right? 
Well, yeah, but defense attorneys know how to beat that shit. Yeah, but still, that he's not getting out of that. You know, well, he gives you the confession that day. It was consensual. That's what he's going to say. That's the argument. Yeah, I mean that. That is when you have DNA. We we'd start off with with a guy. The first thing he's going to do is deny it, Mm -hmm. and you know we love lies. Sure. I mean, go ahead, lie to me. I have nothing to do with it. I wasn't there. I was, you know. In another state, I can bring up three witnesses just to prove it. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking to yourself, fantastic, who are the names? Well, you have a Who's case full, full of, uh, yeah. you know, so, yeah, you got uh, questions answered already. So mm-hmm. you know which, what questions, where he's lying to you. It's, you know, you, you, you want to try to build a case as strong as possible so that you avoid a trial. I yeah. mean, that's the ultimate decision. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a case I talked to about once, which um, was called, I called it the ice cream case. And I don't know if you remember me uh, bringing this up one time. And what happened was uh, this girl, like nine years old, goes to school. And mm-hmm. she lives up, up in Washington Heights and a uh, little Catholic school. And, and she tells him, you know, my daddy's been having sex with me. Mm-hmm. And so I catch the case. I, I boogie up there and I interview her and, and I find her completely credible. Uh, everything she has, the experiences that she's explaining is not something that she watched on television or anything right. else. She experienced it firsthand. So I, I, I bring in the father. It's a heartbreaking case to work, isn't it? It, 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 it is. It's a tough case. that kind of work, it's horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Nine-year-old girl. Right. Yeah, but how many years are you doing this? Because I would imagine at some point they all kind of sort of unfortunately starts sounding the same, don't they? Well, it's not like narcotics cases. Everything has a little bit of a different There is a, a little bit of a it. feel, but, right. you know, where most people be like start crying and bawling about this one kid situation, that could be the third one that you heard that week. Right. It, it yeah. could have. I mean, I, I did 17 years total in sex crimes. So that's why you were able to evaluate right away whether this is a credible story. But, but, but here's, the, it's, it's, it took it the extra step. All right, you have evidence, you have, you know, a credible child and everything else. And, and so now I'm sitting in the room with him and I, and I said to him, you know, I find what she tells me to be believable. I said, but you know something? I think I'm going to view you differently. And other people might view you differently if this happened five or six times. And actually it did happen multiple times versus happened one time. Mm. I said, it's like an ice cream truck. And now the guy's locked in and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, the ice cream truck, it comes down the street and the bell's ringing, bum, bum, bum. And, and, and your daughter's asking, you know, can I have an ice cream? Can I have an ice cream? And so you go down and you're like, okay, I'm going to buy you an ice cream. And this is what I'm telling the guy. Mm-hmm. I said, you go down, you buy your an ice cream, you give your daughter the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And she loves it. And you know she had that ice cream. Mm-hmm. But if you ask her now, she's going to tell you, I had an ice cream every day of the week. I had six or seven ice creams. Mm-hmm. When you and I both know she just had it once. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I'm going to view you differently if, if something happens. I, I understand you might be having problems with your wife right now. There's maybe some issues. Mm-hmm. She's really not taking care so of you're you. you're giving him an out. I'm giving, giving him an out. out. Not a, def- yeah. a legal defense, but I'm giving him an out. And you know what? He says to me, all right, you know what happened once. I said, uh, tell me about it. You know, bear your soul. Tell me about it. Get this chip off. Literally, mm-hmm. I said, get this chip off of your shoulder. And he told me all these details. I got it out, wrote it down, you know, sign off on it. Great. I said, you know, I got to talk to my boss first for a minute, mm-hmm. okay, just to clear the air. I walk out of the room, and he says, what happened? I said, I got a confession. Mm-hmm. He says, you done? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. I said, let's hold off for a minute. So I wait about a minute, and I'm looking at the clock. I walk back in, and I said, you know, my boss says, you know, you should just get it over with. Mm-hmm. You know, let me know everything. And, and he did. He started, you know, even though you told him that one thing, mm-hmm. I mean, you already shelved that. You've moved on. Mm-hmm. 
Now, why did I do that if I had it once, right? You know, I have evidence, you have everything. Because I don't want that nine-year-old to have to go in and testify. Wow. You right? the case so solid. You know, you have a like solid case, but now, you know, he's going to argue this, he's going to argue that. You know, maybe they're going to get to the, the victim. I've had that happen. And, it's beautiful you know, get foreshadowing. To, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, pull that story. But now we've locked him in across the board. You know what's funny about you? What? He's got so many stories. Like, you know, he had so many cases. It's this like almost like, it's like listening to Barry Bonds talk about hitting home runs. <laughs> like, no, wait, wait, wait. There was one in Yankee State. Wait, wait, wait. There was one over here. It's true. When, when I played against the Cardinals, the three-run <laughs> shot. Oh, you know what? Then again, the Mets. That was it. Yeah, it, it's hard. I have to stay on the line. Just a quick story. I was supervising special victims one night, and he, he had a rape in Midtown. So I went down there, and... He had the girl and she worked, she worked there. I don't know, I forget what her job was. And a guy took her in a closet and raped her right in the closet. And he uh, had crime scene come and he had them rip out the rug because mm -hmm. there was semen on the rug. Mm -hmm. You know, they could look at that special light that shows you there's semen yeah. on the rug. Blue lighted it. Anyway, he, during the confession, which <laughs> depressed the hell out of me was when he finally arrested this guy, he had the guy write an apology letter to the victim on he was sorry that he raped her. Mm -hmm. That's right. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I thought really that was like a brilliant, brilliant. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, you get someone you may or may not believe the confession, but you know, now he's writing a letter of apology. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember that. I thought that was brilliant. I really There's there's people there's uh people that uh you know, there's cops that detectives that uh suspects will confess to. There's something about their face, the way they talk to them, a regular guy, mm -hmm. not trying to be above them. You know, you talked about rationalizing with them, mm -hmm. finding a common ground, even though you don't agree with it, you understand. It's um, and you got the you, you have all those qualities. It's a, it's a. Not everybody has that. I've I've been with people watching them, just destroy freaking. Well, he understands human condition from the lowest level to the highest level, and mm -hmm. that's you use all those tools to get to get to somebody, mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. them to confess. And, and a lot of times it isn't necessarily even the questions. I mean, it was, like I said earlier, I mentioned there was a case they called a midtown rapist. Mm -hmm. and, and he was grabbing, very violent, grabbing women in the middle of the night in midtown, uh, both on the east and west side. On the street? On the street. Uh, there used to be a phone booth at uh, 33rd and Park. And he literally, it was like, between 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning, grabbed this woman and started to strangle her with the phone cord. Wow. You know, the old phone booths yeah, and yeah. stuff. And the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, is that she's the one, he's the one connected with her the most of the different victims. Mm -hmm. So that was what I was focusing on. And we ended up uh, picking him up at like 5 o'clock in the morning one of the days. Uh, he ended up living in Bellevue Men's Shelter, by the oh, way. Oh, good. And... Uh, how we picked him up is we had a sketch and we were putting it out to the, there used to be a prostitute condition mm -hmm. over by the armory over there on yeah, the 13th. Sure. Yep. And they saw someone who fit the bill and, you know, we went over and brought him in and I'm talking to him for a while. And I, I, honestly, I'm not making a lot of headway. And I asked the guy, I said, are, are you hungry? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah. I said, what do you, what do you feel like eating? He says, no. And I was like, why not? Mm -hmm. He says, because they'll spit on my food. So I called in one of the 13th detective squads. I'm sitting in the, in the room with him. And I, I said, what would you want? He says, a cheeseburger. I said, I want two cheeseburger deluxes. Mm -hmm. One for me and one for him. And, and bring them in. And so they went and I kept questioning them. And they showed up with the cheeseburger deluxes. And I said, which one do you want? Do you think they're going to spit on my food? Mm -hmm. And during the time that we ate, I talked sports. 
I talked weather, That's I talked great. everything else but the case. case. Yeah. When we were done eating, he started giving up that case that I thought there was the most connection with. And then once we got through the first case, we got through them all. But at the end of the night, the DA says, do you think he'll do a videotape confession? Because once in a while, they like to come down, they'll take a videotape afterwards. And so I turned to him and, you know, they set it up and they're like, we were willing to do a video confession. He says, you know, I really don't want to, but I'll do it for my friend, Eddie. <laughs> that's great. Man. That's great. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, we were, uh, when we first started talking about the DNA, um, we mentioned that story that was in the paper. And the interesting part of that story is when they collect the DNA um, and they don't get a hit, the, what they're complaining about, the, the civil liberties unions, is that uh, where does that DNA go that once it's in the database... It's not getting pulled out, and now you have somebody who is innocent with their DNA in the database. So uh, explain to us, I mean, obviously, you know, now people are becoming familiar with CODIS um, Mm -hmm. because they hear it on all the TV shows. Put it in CODIS, and let's see if we get a hit, you know, the lab scene um, in every procedural TV show there is. But um, what, what happens with that DNA? Well, it it is. It sits in the, you know, they'll they'll get a, a, you know, a new rape kit and the the kid will get uploaded, and, and you know, hopefully they'll obtain DNA, uh, DNA samples from that, mm-hmm. uh, and that it'll you know, have sufficient loci, right, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to be uh, put into the databank. And, and then it'll get compared. And by loci, you're talking about the, um, the amount of... Um DNA in a sample. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a really know, like, good... Almost like technique called short tandem repeats, and mm-hmm. they can replicate the DNA. So from a very small amount of DNA, they can make the, the um, sample bigger, mm-hmm. and thus they have more success. In, right. That's correct. Yeah. Building the chain. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. See, I taught college. That's how I learned this. Yeah, right. I learned this when I was in homicide. <laughs> and, you know, they, uh, it, it does. It gets uploaded and it gets compared. And what you have is you have a data bank that's made up of uh, previously convicted uh, criminals. And, you know, they expanded the list as they should. And the FBI mm-hmm. runs CODIS, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Right. And it gets, it gets uploaded to your local data bank. Mm-hmm. You know, any evidence that's, you know, going on right now in New York and up to the state data bank and then, you know, and to the national. So you got somebody who's been raped. Um, there was D, uh, semen collected DNA now it's uh, it doesn't match to anybody that's uh, any felons that are already in the system, right? Mm-hmm. But you got a suspect, so you bring that suspect in. You do the uh, what was that word you use? Surreptitious. Surreptitious. Collection. I can't even say that word. Surreptitious collection. On the DL, Basically, uh, what you do is <laughs> you, you put some cigarettes out uh, in the interview room. You put uh, some uh, some a, a soda there, and then you hope that these people consume it. And then you collect it afterward. That's the idea. They discard it. They don't want to take it. Okay, now we're going to put it in and submit it. That was not the person. There was no match on the DNA mm-hmm. that was collected. What they're complaining about is what happens to that person's DNA. I'll tell you, just, just to back up just for a second. I mean, that's not done as often as people think it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, people seem to think that every time we get a sample from somebody who's a suspect, mm-hmm. that we've somehow managed to manipulate the, you know... Here, have a drink of water, have a cup well, of coffee Sometimes they and give stuff. it to you on their own. More times than not, majority of times, even people that are the perpetrator, they seem to have it in their head that if I show that I'm cooperating, mm-hmm. I waive my rights, I'll give a statement, I'll, I'll sign off on a consent form giving a DNA profile, mm-hmm. that magically it's not going to match. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that they don't, maybe they don't really have the evidence or maybe they do, right. but somehow they don't understand the science or they do understand the science, but they feel that this is just not going to work against me. I'm going to, you know, roll Maybe the they dice. thought they covered their tracks Crazy. by wearing gloves and all this other shit, but somehow you still got DNA. Right. I mean, there's a lot of that where they, they protect themselves. And you see that. Well, you, you, know, have, you had guys that had victims shower after they sexually right, assaulted sure. them. Mm-hmm. Or they did wear condoms and the guy made sure he took the condom, except that he left, you know, the condom wrapper with his, you know, DNA on the wrapper itself. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Or tore it, you know, and left it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different places well, I, he could have left I, I, You remember the um, Russell Tomashenko homicide? Mm-hmm. There was four guys in a car and his partner walked up. He and his partner walked up and they blasted them through the really tinted windows. They were able to figure out who the shooter was by collecting DNA from the trigger guard of the gun, which was amazing. That's that's incredible evidence collection. And the guy got nailed. He got uh, whatever whatever killers get of a cop these days, 25 to life. He'll probably be out. Cuomo's still governor, but right. And and I mean, wait. On that note. Uh, you know, I, I started looking back and I started remembering that a lot of the people we arrested for sexual assault cases were people in their 40s and 50s, not not 20 year olds, not 18 year olds. Right. And and now they're trying to pass something where, you know, like a grandfather oh, after 55, after 55. Oh, let's let them out. These guys are dangerous. Brilliant. As hell. Brilliant. So, OK, you know, you got convicted at 45 for a rape one or a series of rapes. You got 25 or 30 years to life. But in the next and five years, we're going to want to get they, back out. How many lives did they ruin on the oh. crimes that they got away with that they were never charged with? Right. Yeah. I mean, you talk about those two victims that we talked about earlier down in Greenwich Village. Um, and and the a very interesting were together case. in the bed next to each other? They were, you know, in two different rooms where they could see each other. Okay. And, uh, you know, they were never the same. One of them is a, you know, she's a spokesperson. She goes out. She's all over the country. She talks about it still to this day. Wow. We're talking about, you know... People are really impacted. I saw some case today. I was uh, looking at the paper, and, and some kid, uh, some guy uh, raped a 14-year-old girl in a bus and got probation. Oh, my God. Wow. And it was like, well, you, you know, something about, you know, not needing another victim. Well, we have a victim. Yeah. We, well, we have someone. This is the person now. we should be concerning ourselves right. with, mm-hmm. the 14-year-old, not, not the 20-something-year-old who raped the girl in the bus. Right. Now, could you imagine if you're an advocate, like, you know, I'm one of these people that's always saying, like, well, they, with Me Too, the hashtag Me Too, well, you know, you should have reported it. That's the argument to that. Let's say you did report it, okay? You went through the whole thing, the embarrassment, the shame, your family, everybody in the world knowing now that you've been raped, and the person that you uh, convict, that got convicted gets probation. Yeah, no. Right. That's the I, argument I, for I, that. I it's like devastating. Yeah. Devastating. I mean... The fact that we're still making these type of mistakes with uh, these type of cases, mm-hmm. uh, these sexual cases, is, it's amazing to me. There, was a, there, there has was, to be a precedent set. You can't get probation on a rape. I don't care what school you go to, how much money you get, whether it was a frat, a party gone wrong. There has to be at least a minimum sentence, you know? Yeah. There, was a, there was a rape in, uh, in Midtown, Man- Midtown Manhattan, again. It was at a hotel, uh, a violent case. The woman was from England. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up getting this case. I was working on the case. And the, the, the suspect in this case... Mm-hmm ends up getting in a shootout, I believe, with the FBI at another hotel in Midtown and gets killed. And so I'm calling her and saying, look, I want to give you some closure to let you know that the, the man who committed this crime is dead. She wasn't happy. She wanted her day in court. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be able to stand up and say, that man raped me in a hotel. Mm-hmm. 
He came into my room, knocked on the door, forced his way in, raped me. I've never seen him again. It's, it's affected me tremendously my entire life. Mm-hmm. And she wanted her dick. And I was trying to explain to her, he's this, dead. This is even better. He's, he's dead. dead. He's, yeah, dead. he's dead. dead. Yeah. But she still wanted that opportunity. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wish I could have given it to her. She probably felt like she was going to be able to um, maybe clean herself after that. Get that off her, uh, off her conscious, her mind. And um, she probably wouldn't have. It probably it's never going to feel better. You know, when you see somebody that's these people that live in a bubble, everybody does in a way until something violent happens to you, yeah. and it happens right. to you within seconds. And then when you watch this person that shattered all their beliefs on the world, and how, you know how they feel strong and tough, and, and they're in control of all their situation, and then somebody just takes that away from them and shatters that, right. and to see the look on their faces, it's. You know, only not not. You'll always have it with you. It's just a question: Can you go back to functioning and and being in front of people? Because when you're by yourself, it's probably going to pop in your head. That's where you have to control it the most. But can you function on a daily basis again? Right, knowing and, and, that there's animals out there like that in the world. And more times than not, you talk to victims, and they'll tell you, "I just keep looking for the guy." Right. I look over my shoulder, yeah. and I wonder. And then once he's arrested, there's like an ease. Yeah. You know. Okay. You know, I can move forward. But, you know, like we said before, with, with sex crimes has the highest recidivist uh, rate, rate right? of any mm-hmm. crime there is. So in my mind, it's like, how do you parole these guys? You know, who is watching these savages when they get out? You know what I mean? Like, who's, is someone going to follow them around? We're going to put that ankle bracelet that no one monitors? We're going to put that, I, I, you know, when I found that out, I was freaked out mm-hmm. that no one monitors those ankle bracelets. They're just on some screen that no one watches. Really? Yeah. And only if the guy does another crime, they can pull up the information. Oh, he was here at such and such. A, mm-hmm. But no one monitors it in real time. It's a lot of manpower. It's a lot of bullshit. All right. We're at the end of our first hour. This was How did it go? Everybody? All right. You know, this is really I think it was great. Yeah. Imagine I think it was great. The police. When we come back. <laughs> We will come back. Well, we we want to make sure that we cover. I want to hear your opinion on Twenty Three and Me and these Ancestry.com websites. Um, there's a couple other stories that I want to hit, mm-hmm. um, but in the meantime, we're going to take a break. We're going to refresh our tea. You know, Mark. By the way, Sounds Eddie good. was also in um, Afghanistan, so we'll touch upon. Oh yeah. That okay. Too great. Great. I'm episode. interested in hearing that yeah, too. I'm very interested in hearing. Were you the Taliban? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back for All part right. two. <laughs> Thank you.